For some reason, I've been doing a lot of speaking at the Anthem churches. So um, I'm either very good at deception or they like some of the things we're talking about. So I'm hoping it's the latter. How many of you were in the pre-launch meeting that I spoke at all those years ago? Not many. Amazing. You were like a new person. I remember. No, 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 you're an old-timer. Um, this is going to be interesting with this. Uh... <laughs> so we're going to speak a little bit about eldership today. And uh, some of you might have never thought about that in your life, never wanted to hear a talk on it. Uh, but some, in some way, it's actually quite important to the way that God does things. So um, I'm hoping that you will listen attentively that you will go home and check out the scriptures and weigh it up and say, did that man speak the truth? Um, I think it's important. Um, and if it is important, then how do we then go from there? I think that's not my job, that's Bert and everyone else's job. So, Father, as we speak from your word this morning, this incredible text, this library of books called the Bible that you've given us, to help us and train us and coach us and teach us. Would you open our hearts and our minds today to hear and to learn and to be led by the Spirit into the things of God? In Jesus' name, amen. So you're in the middle of a series on the church, is that correct? Last week I spoke at Camarillo on the church, and so this is the next one, leadership. Um, and so we're talking about leadership in the local church. When we talk about leadership of the universal church, did you use those terms last week? Universal church, local church, the whole church, the specific church. Uh, Jesus heads up the whole church. Is that right? He's the head of the church. There's no, any, no one else heads up the church, only Jesus. But when it comes to this outworking of the church in a local situation, there is human delegated leadership. It's leadership that's been delegated by Jesus to work on the ground. It never supersedes Jesus' leadership. Jesus is always the leader of the church. And so when we talk about human leaders in leading the church, we, we better make sure that they are allowing Jesus to be their leader. Otherwise, it's not going to work very well. Would you agree with that? So I'm, just, I'm giving you a few upfront statements, um, and then we'll get into it. Um, I think this is an important fact. In our world, where people especially in the United States, very Western culture, very individualistic, me, mine, myself, uh, I've got to do what feels good about myself, I have to be true to myself, all that stuff, which quite frankly is the antithesis of what God intends for us. Um, I'm not saying you should now live a lie, that's not what we're saying. But I think we have to find and discover who we really are in God, because that's the true self. But we don't like leaders. We buck against the idea of leadership. Yet, if you look at any group organization in the animal kingdom, there are leaders. It's the way God intended things to be. There are leaders. Our problem is that leaders have done such a bad, shoddy job over the years, and we watch it, that now we are so gun-shy that when somebody says, you know, you better do that, well, I who are you to tell me what to do type of attitude? Rather than redeeming the understanding of leadership, redeeming it back into the way that God wants it so that people lead the way God wants them to lead. And I think that's what we're hoping to do, and I'm hoping that Bert leads like that, that he leads as a man under God. 
Um, the story of Jesus' interaction with the centurion. I love it. There's the, when the centurion who leads, he's leading a hundred soldiers, he said, I too, I'm a man under authority. And the leaders need to be under authority. Um, Jesus is the great shepherd. We are the under shepherds. I think that's important. Okay, these are all just pre-statements. They're quite important, so just hear them, and then we'll unpack text. But in the local church, there's only elders and deacons. There's no other form of leadership in the local church. I'm going to unpack that a little further as we get onto the task or what elders are. It's a, it's a team, a plurality of elders that lead God's church. You don't get elder boards. There's no such thing in the Bible. And if we want to truly step into the space that is the space that God lives in and He wants us to live in, this has to become the handbook that we use, not the latest book on leadership, 21 reasons why your leadership should be like this, and 20, you know, whatever. We have to say, what does the Bible teach us about leadership? And there's only elders with deacons that lead the local church, and you'll, you'll, we're going to talk about deacons at another time, and, and then there's out, sometimes out, outside influence, apostolic influence into the church to help the church along, That's a, but they don't have authority to lead that church, they just bring some wisdom into the church. Elders lead the church, and it's important that we see that. If we miss that, then we, we find all sorts of strange things happen. If I, were to go, if I were to choose a church today, if I wasn't going to a church and, good morning. Sorry, no, it's all right. We were going to teach Sunday school, but there was only one here. <laughs> well, welcome. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, you take those two. All I can tell you is you're in the spit zone. So, um, if I were to look for a church today, one of the, one of the key things I'd be looking for is what does leadership look like? For me. That would be a really important. Because if people don't have an understanding of godly leadership, then the other things are going to start doing a little strange swimming, in my humble opinion. Um, so we have to look at the Bible. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We don't look to popular opinion. We don't look to secular leadership manuals. We don't look to business. Church is not a business. Do you believe that? How many times have you heard a pastor say, I run a church? Ch pastors don't run churches. Pastors lead churches. They shepherd churches. They don't run churches. It's not a business. It's God's people living in community together, becoming everything that God wants them to be. So we, it's important that somehow we change our language because the way you speak shapes the way you think. We don't run churches. We lead churches, we shepherd churches, we care for churches, we, 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 follow, we ask people to follow us as we follow Jesus. We don't run them. Is that okay? It feels like a little thing, but I think it's actually a really, really big thing. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at five things. One, who are elders? What are their qualifications and appointment? What do they do? How do we respond to them? And then just some final thoughts. Does that work for you? Okay. If you want to get an elementary, sort of an embryonic understanding of elders and deacons leading the church, and when you first see something starting to happen, go read Acts chapter 6, when, 
when the apostles appoint the seven to come and lead. It's a great embryonic story of the development of leadership inside the local church. I won't read it today just for time, but I encourage you to go read it. Verses 1 to 7 of Acts chapter 6. When the church was growing, the apostles were there, and suddenly they needed, the things were starting to go wrong, as they do when you have human interaction. Things go wrong. So they needed to fix things. There was a squabble between these widows and those widows. They needed help, and so they called seven men to exercise leadership with them, practical leadership into the church. Those were maybe what we would call today as deacons. But and it's good to look at what their qualifications are. They weren't just people, oh, I'll serve. No, what were their qualifications? They were deeply spiritual, you know, deeply wise people. But we're not going to go there today. So who are they? Who are these people that we call elders? We're going to open our Bibles to 1 Peter. It's a beautiful book, 1 Peter, our church. We're going to our next series is through the book of 1 Peter. Some of my favorite texts in the Bible are in 1 Peter. And I'm going to read the first, from chapter 5, first few verses. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crowd of glory. Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." And the thing that I, it's important that I want you to see there is that there are three words that are used of this elder group. There's elder, there's pastor, shepherd, and there's overseer. All right? The word poimonos, which means shepherd or pastor. Presbyteros, which is the word elder, where you get Presbyterian church. That's where it comes from. And episkopos, which means overseer, where you get episcopalian. But in the Bible... All three of those things are the same person. You don't get pastors and elders and bishops. They're all the same. Does that make sense? Now, some of you might have come out of churches where you, you know, there's the pastor, but there's an elder board. They're business guys. They're normally the guys with the money that control everything, and they tell the pastor what to do. They vote him in and out. And then you've got bishops over all of those. Well, actually, in the Bible, that doesn't exist. That's a human creation created about a hundred or so years ago. Um, I was reading something that Matt Larson wrote, and he wrote it so succinctly. was, but a hundred years ago, 501c3s came into being, which is a non-profit organization, charitable organization. And to line up with the government, you had to have a board. And what slowly crept into the church was this understanding that church is this business and we need CEOs and we need boards and we need all these type of things, which actually is contrary to the way that God leads the church. We have leaders in the church called elders and they pastor, they elder, and they bishop. They're the same person, but they're different functions within that same person. Does that make sense? Amen. So... 
The elders rule. The elders rule wisely. The elders are supposed to rule humbly. All those things that go with the elders and we'll look at. But they, they are the overseers. They are the shepherds. So I don't, I'm the pastor and those are the elders. No, no, no. We are the elders. We are the pastors. We are the shepherds. We are the overseers, the bishops. I'm, I'm pushing the point. Does it make sense? It's important for us to understand that. Otherwise, what we do is we create hierarchy. There's no hierarchy in the church. When the Bible says I've pointed first apostles and that, that's not a hierarchical thing. It's a way of ministry into the church, that a church needs apostolic leadership to become, etc., etc. It's not a hierarchy. Your body does not have a hierarchy. There's a head and a body. Yeah? Church has a head and a body. Okay? Do you agree with me? Okay, so talk, nod your head, say, whoa, I never heard that before. That's what? All right? But it's the same person. And it's important to see that you're going to go look at that in Acts 20 when Paul calls for the elders of Ephesus and he speaks to them. He says, you, you, you elders, you need a shepherd, you need an overseer, you need to do a good job. They're the same person. Can I move on? You got it. All right. So, what qualifies these people to be elders? All right, so we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and get your finger in Titus chapter 1 as well. Let's just read this. Maybe before we even get there, I want to say, here's the primary for me that even begins to understand if someone's going to be an elder. They need to love Jesus with all their hearts and soul and mind and strength, and they better love God's people. If you have elders who don't love people, what do you think happens? It gets all screwed up. Elders need to love people. And they need to have long-suffering to love people. But if elders don't love people, they should not be elders. All right? Let's read this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, see the word here, overseer, he desires a noble task. So one of the qualifications for someone to be an elder doesn't mean that because of this they will be an elder, but there needs at least to be a desire to lead God's people. Often we want to promote people because they're faithful or they have money or they have influence or whatever, but they don't really want to lead God's people. Don't point them then. There must be someone who aspires to that who aspires to say, I want to be a servant of Jesus to these people. At least that's a starting spot. Therefore, an overseer must be. If you make notes, can you underline those two words? Must be. We don't like that in our culture. When I first arrived on these shores and I was preaching in in the church, I said to someone, you must do something, and I had someone rip into me. Who are you to tell me what I must do? You don't have to do anything. So I was just using an expression. But as it applies here, you must. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. What did you notice primarily about those qualifications? Sorry? He was to be it. He must be it, yes. Integrity. What's a word that captures all of that? Character. Character. It's all about character. There are two things there that actually have to do with specific tasks. The one is able to teach. It doesn't say you've got to be able to stand up here and preach. It doesn't say that. It says able to teach. What does that mean? Able to open God's Word and instruct someone else in the ways of God. It can be one-on-one -on -one in a little group. It doesn't have to be this. But you have to be able to do that. So that means you've got to have a working knowledge of this. Make elders who don't know the Bible. Right, so Secondly, they must be hospitable. That means they've got to have an open home, a desire to have people in their home, a desire to have strangers in their home. For those who were here when we did the pre-launch, and I kind of rebuked the ch that pre-launch group for something that was really funny, it's a good thing, is that the word hospital means the love and care of strangers. So when the Bible says leaders should be hospitable, it's saying you need to be able to love and care for strangers. So, because why? An elders welcoming people in. Is that right? The rest is all about character. Now, how many of you watch the news, television, and you follow Christian leaders all over? How many Christian leaders have fallen in the last five years? Have lost their jobs because of what? How many? Hundreds. How many of, how many of them lost their jobs because, the, because their gift was not good? They didn't preach well, or their leadership was not... Is that it? How many, what did they, why did they step down? Character. Character. Woman... Or men, sexual stuff, money, all those things. Power grabbing. It's all about character. We, we rise or fall on character, not our gifts. Gifts are without repentance. You have a gift. If some, you know, the latest one, Bill Hybels, Willow Creek. The whole, the whole elder board has stepped down. The whole leadership of that church. Great preacher of the word. Done great things, but a character thing emerged. Character is the kind of the be-all and end-all of leadership qualification. Character. So, I don't know. Should you employ an elder from another, some outside? Why shouldn't you? Because you don't know their character. You don't know how they treat their spouse. You don't know how they treat their kids. You don't know how they handle their money. You don't know how they speak to people in a crisis. You don't know any of that. So I studied at Fuller, and there was a board, and you put your name up and say, looking for a job. Pastor, and oh, well, he looks qualified. We'll take him as a pastor. How do you know what that person is like? That's why leadership should come from within. Now, I'm not saying it can never work. Obviously, it has worked, but I don't think it's the ideal. I think it's someone you know that everybody recognizes. Everyone says, oh, that's right. That makes sense. It emerges within. It's a beautiful thing then. It's like, oh, okay. It's all about character. Character, character. Now, we're not looking to look at all those character things individually. I don't, we don't have time for that today. You go look at some of those things and study them, see what they mean. But when 
Bert releases elders whenever that is in the future. Character. 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 I'd rather have someone who's weaker at the gift with stronger character than someone who has a great gift and no character. Because I'll get longevity and you'll get substance and you'll see someone with integrity and humility, etc. All right? Is that okay? It's all about character. If you go read Titus 1, verses 5 to 9, we won't go there just for time, but it's a similar type of list. It's all about character, and there he uses the word elder, not overseer. All right. How do these people that we recognize as elders, they qualify as elders, how do we appoint them or anoint them or whatever? How do we do that? Who does that? Um, and I think it's important to, for this thing is that elders are not self-appointed. I'm a self-appointed leader. It's kind of, for me, it's a little bit shady. It's when others recognize you. So when you plan a church, and I've planted two churches, you go there and you establish a beachhead in a new neighborhood, a new thing, you are the leader. In some ways, it looks like you are a self-appointed leader. But we were sent out from somewhere else with the backing, with a blessing, with a team. When Bert comes here, Bert came with a team under the auspices of another group. It wasn't just like, I'm self-appointed, I'm going to do my thing. I think it kind of, just watch it. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just saying we need to be careful of those sort of things. But in the Bible, we see that elders generally are appointed or released or ordained, whatever word you want to use, through an apostolic ministry. So you see um, Paul writing to Titus, and if you read Titus 1, and he says, I sent you to Crete that you might appoint elders. Um, you see it in Acts 14 with Paul and Barnabas. They're going around. They, in all the churches, they are appointing elders. It's an apostolic function. So when... Do you, I mean, you, you all understand the family of churches of Anthem? So when T.O. released new elders, Chris Vinant. Have you, any of you met Chris? So Chris was involved in that process of going in and praying and laying hands, etc. When Kevin released his elders last year, I went and did that. Now, I'm not saying I'm an apostle. I'm just saying it's an apostolic function. It's, it's a place where we're working with others to come and help in that role. Um, I think you use in Anthem this, you, you need to verb before you're a noun. Do you use that? You need to be recognized as an elder before you made an elder. You, you, you are eldering before you get the name elder. Is that okay? You want to look for someone who's caring and pastoring and concerned for the church. And those are the people that you're watching for that you will then ordain. You don't ordain and say, now will you please be an elder? No, you say, oh, you are an elder. Let us ordain you. Put the mantle that comes upon them you at that time so that you can do that well and people recognize that. But let's say, you know, I'm gonna say you, you, you come up, we're going to pray over you to be a leader and everyone says, what? Who is she? Never seen her before. What does she do? You think, a wrong person. Should be when you do it, everyone goes, oh, I feel so right. Yes, I feel so secure because a real shepherd, a real pastor, a real person who leads under God's mighty hand is going to take reins. And yes, that makes me feel secure. Now, you, I'm not, you might have one or two that don't like it. That's okay. Mostly it's because of jealousy. 
I've been around too long. All right. One of the things, did you notice that in the qualifications for an elder, how many of you noticed hidden among the Bible words in invisible ink that can only be exposed by special Harry Potter stuff? It had said that you better have a master's degree from a seminary. Did you read that? You're not very spiritual. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say you better be a great stage performer. Does it say that? It doesn't say that anywhere. No, it's not a qualification. Should someone have a seminary degree? It could be helpful. But it's not a prerequisite. Sometimes it gets in the way. Not always, but sometimes. So I'm not knocking seminary degrees, okay? Please hear that. I'm just saying it's not a qualification to be an elder. Actually, most of the leadership of the church, the, the first church were uneducated fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. And Then came, along came Paul. But he was... Most weren't. But if you read Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when the apostles had been taken before the religious leaders because they'd healed a man on the Sabbath, and they said they couldn't, they couldn't quite get it. These were uneducated men. And he says, but they recognized this. These men had been with Jesus. The elders that we release and appoint and recognize are people that we see these people are with Jesus. When they speak, you can see and hear Jesus. Because it's possible to have all the other qualifications. Be integrity and not lie and be hospitable and all those things. You can have all those sort of, yet still not be, in my humble opinion, qualified to elder because you don't allow Jesus to be the be-all and end-all of your life. You want people who know how to be with Jesus because if you're asking them to shepherd and lead, what are you asking them in sh in, uh, to shepherd and lead into? How to be in good meetings? No, this is one hour, hour and a half a week. So the rest of the time's out there. How are you going to be with Jesus out there? So you want an elder, I think, that's hopefully been in the marketplace a little bit, a little old. Why? So that they've learned to be with Jesus out there, so they can instruct on how to be with Jesus out there. Right. People who follow hard after Jesus. So when Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus, he's not creating a hierarchy, is he? He's just saying, no, I can show you some things. Come with me. We'll follow Jesus together, but follow me as I follow Jesus. You want elders that are able to do that. Come with us. We'll show you Jesus. We'll teach you Jesus. What it, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of Jesus every single day. What it looks like to become like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. Is that all right? I think it's really important. Because you can give information. I can give you information from here. And today I'm giving you some information. 
But if I were around, I want, to, I want to help you be in the process of transformation, becoming like Jesus. So what do these elders do? Would you give me my phone out of the, my front bag? I need it just now for something. So that's my daughter, Tahila. She, she lives down in LA, but her company is here in Ventura. So she's up here on business, so she decided to join me. What do they do? So they, they pastor shepherd, they exercise oversight, they sit at the gates and rule and protect God's people. That's what they do. That's their primary role. They are to shepherd. So if you want to understand what a shepherd does, go look at John chapter 10. And maybe we'll read it at the end. Jesus, I am the good shepherd. And this is what I do. So we... We need to go look at that, because if Jesus is the model of leadership, we've got to go look at how Jesus led. Fair enough? It's important. So they pastor, they shepherd, they care for the sheep. That doesn't mean we model coddle people. Do you use that term in America? We make them feel all good about themselves, and we put styrofoam around them so they never get hurt, and that's not shepherding. Shepherding is leading sheep, and God calls us sheep. Isn't that amazing? Oh, she'd called us like leopards. You know? But he calls us sheep. Why? Because we don't want to go where he wants us to go. That's why. Because we're stubborn and sometimes really stupid. All of us. We're stubborn. All the time. Yeah, there we go. I was trying to be kind. I was trying to put styrofoam around it. Okay. Um, we are sheep. And we like to go our own way. And if... One goes that way. We all go that way. That's what sheep do. Guys, I found a new church. Oh, let's all go try it. I found this new coffee shop. That's what we are like. So we need shepherds that know how to lead us in the right place. Know how to lead us toward Jesus because they've been there. They're leading us there. You know, in the old days of a shepherd, in, in the in the the time when a, when a sheep or a lamb didn't want to go somewhere and it would keep running off, they would take it and they'd break its legs and they'd put it around their neck. Have you ever seen images of Jesus with a lamb around his neck? Generally, that's because that little lamb's legs have been broken so that it will learn to go where the shepherd says. But then he carries it and brings it to healing, makes it whole so that it does what it's meant to do. Imagine. What's the, how do you? George. George. I was like, Gertie. No, George. So George just wants to keep going away. And me, the elder, I say, George, I'm so sorry. Whack! Over my shoulder. <laughs> but just think about it. If we, we, we think, oh, who the heck are they? No, I don't, we don't go around whacking people's legs. All right? But the idea is sometimes there's correction that's needed. So that people will line into what Jesus wants. Not what I want. Not into, like, this is how our church does things. Not like that. No, this is how we lead into the life of Jesus. And the love and the glory and the beauty of who Jesus is. And sometimes we need to correct and we need to discipline. You know, that, that way that you are doing things is unhelpful to us in community. You need to change. And if you can't change and, or you don't want to change and you become stubborn, we might have to ask you to step out of the bounds of this community. It's called discipline, isn't it? It's not punishment. It's called discipline. Why? 
so that the church can flourish and you can realize maybe I've, I need to change. The problem with it in our world is we'll just go to the next church. Well, no one cares. Where I came from in South Africa, our town called Hillcrest, I don't know how many churches, we had 20 or 30 churches in the area. From the Catholic to, to the most liberal and conservative, we used to meet every week to pray. And if I put George out of the church because George didn't want to change and was in sin, and he went to the next church, they'd say, where did you come from? Oh, I came from there. Have they released you? No, they, sent, they kicked me out. Well, you're not welcome here. Because we, we had agreement. Why? Because we felt, we believed that God wanted to make disciples. But here, we just need people and their money. So come on in. You know? So we pastor, shepherd, we exercise oversight. That means we're protecting. We're making sure that what we teach is correct. We're keeping bad people out the best we know how. Wolves and we're keeping them out. We're creating a gateway for people to come in. That's why in some ways membership is a really important thing. It's not to, it's not to control, but it's to protect. It's, this is the way in. This is the way in. If you're not a member, you can't speak. Well, listen, Why? Because we don't know what you're going to bring. When you remember, everything changes. Because we've been through a process of just... It's important for us to see those things, all right? And we protect, and they sit at the gates and bring wisdom and understanding the best they know how. All right? They bring vision and direction. This is the way we're going. You know? When the shepherd says, we're going this way, and the sheep say, no, we're going that way, we have a problem. Okay? Um... So that's what they do. They pastor, they shepherd, they exercise oversight, they elder, elders sat at the gate. You know, they were the, those people that had wisdom. That's what our leaders are meant to do. Number two, they pray for the sick in the community. James 5 says, if anyone's sick among you, go to the doctor. So what it says? It says, if anyone's sick among you, do what? Call for the elders. Come pray with you. The prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a doctor. I love doctors. Doctors have helped me greatly. But if we, go, if we see them as the primary area of healing and before Jesus, we, it kind of goes wonky. We need to just recorrect that. Jesus works through doctors, and he works through the medical practitioners, all those things. But so when someone's sick first, call for the elders and see, just see if God is on the move. For you, who when we are sheep and we're in the world, we can pray for anybody that's sick. These signs shall accompany those believers. They'll lay hands on the sick, they'll become well. That's for us as we interact with our world. But in the church, if anyone's sick, call for the elders. Come anoint with oil. How many of you called for the elders to pray for you when you were sick in the last year? You get that in any church. No, no one does it. But actually... I think it's one of the primary functions of what it means to be an elder and a shepherd in a church, to pray and care for the sick. Moving on. We train, equip, and teach. You see that in Ephesians 4? Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers to equip the earth, equip the, train the church into maturity. I think, fourthly, we set an example to follow. Because you can do all those things without having a good example. We set an example to follow. In 1 Timothy 4... Verse 12, um, Paul writing to Timothy. Now, this is not specifically his teaching that this is what elders should be, but Timothy was an elder. And this is what he says to Timothy. Command, in verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. In what? Speech, 
conduct, love, faith, purity. Set an example to the believers in those areas. So if you want to be an elder and you're looking at your elders, you're wanting them to be able to set an example toward you in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Do you think that covers a lot of stuff? It kind of covers everything. You're looking for your leaders to set an example. You want to be able to say, I want to follow that person as they follow Jesus. They set in a good model. They're not perfect. They're human beings. I think that's important. Remember, elders are human. They will make mistakes. They will do things wrong. But as an overall way that they live, you look at them and say, these are people living Jesus' way. All right. Often the things we learn are caught more than taught. Isn't that right? If I stand up here and I have mumps and I tell you I have measles, what will you catch? Mumps. Okay. I can tell you as much as you like. I am holy. I am holy. I am holy. If I am unholy, what will you catch? Unholiness. That's what you'll catch. So it's important that leaders set an example in the way that they live, that they truly live, knowing that they're human, they will make mistakes, they sin, just like everybody else. But there's something about the way they've chosen to engage life with Jesus that is in inspiring to follow. And then fifthly, I think, as 1 Peter 5, we read earlier, there's a, there's a deep humility about them. I think when we get arrogant, we miss something beautiful. God's people are meant to be humble because where there's humility there, God's grace is active. God gives grace to the humble and He opposes the proud. This moment pride sets into the church leadership. We actually have God against us. But when there's humility, a deep humility, which means doesn't mean I, I don't think that I can do a job. or It just says I, I live in a way that I trust God in my weakness. I'm trusting God that He is powerful enough to bring this through. When I have that deep humility, God's grace begins to flow. And I think it's an unusual grace. How am I for time? Am I right? Um, it says of Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, so they tell us, the Torah. It says, Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth. He was a strong leader, was Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth. Go read what it says about Jesus in John 10. I am humble and gentle. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that the type of leaders we want? We want leaders who are strong in character, strong in what they believe, hold good but they are gentle and humble in the way that they interact with people. I want to say, if I could go back 30 years and start again, I would do so differently. I have been a horrible leader from time to time, well, from actually a lot of time, because I have not ex come out of the place of deep humility and gentleness. I was an arrogant, young, whatever, words that we shouldn't use in church. And then sixthly, what they do, I think... Leaders need to live as disciples, and they know how to make disciples, who know how to make disciples. Because the final words of Jesus go, make disciples. So if we're not making disciples, which starts with us not living as disciples, there's something wrong. And I'd love I could talk on that. That's, one of my, that's my favorite subject at the moment, the whole area of living as disciples to Jesus. You know, apprentices to Jesus. Students of Jesus for the rest 
of your life. Um, is that okay? Are we all on the same spot? It's a time. 11. Okay, so how do we follow? Now that you have an elder. So you only have one elder at the moment. That's Bert, correct? And I believe that eldership should be plural, should be a team. But because it's a new church, there's only one. He's submitted to the anthem elders. So there's a group, all right? Well, we need to actually follow willingly. If you want to be in the church, follow the elders. So I said this. If you can't do this, there's two things at work. One, you're in the wrong church. Or two, God wants to deal with your heart in, in the issues of individualism and rebellion. And both are in play. We don't like to use those words, rebellion. Ooh, but the Bible uses it everywhere. So we, are, we are rebellious people. It's in our hearts. The, the sinful world has made us rebellious. And God is turning rebels into worshipers. But we need to follow the leaders. Because if you can't follow the leaders, if you look, if you're sitting here today and you, you are a member and a part of this church, and you look at Bert and you say, I can't follow that man, go find another church where you can follow the person. Amen. Otherwise, you're just a stumbling block and become a pain in the you-know-where. Right, go find a church where you can follow. Now, if you're looking for a perfect person, well, then you just better start your own church and you realize it fails from the day you started it. Because you're not perfect. But you follow willingly, knowing that there will be mistakes. And how the leaders handle those mistakes is a real test of character and their leadership. Okay? If you are believed that this is your church, and I'm just putting theories here because none of this doesn't apply to any of you, but it might apply to the people that come in two years' time so that you can help. If you believe this is your church and that is the person, but you are struggling to follow not you guys, for the other people. Look at their hearts and see if there's rebellion. I hazard a guess if you look in your own heart, you will find rebellion. Because when I look in my own heart, I find rebellion. Rebellion to the ways of God. I want to do my thing. And it creeps into the church. So how do we follow? We actually follow willingly. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, we're going to back in 1 Timothy. It says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. All right? It's a very powerful text. We used to have the saying years ago, Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. Because <laughs> we believe that somehow God's leaders should just be poor people. But actually, if you, the Bible actually says we need to look after our leaders financially. Now, if they are, be, if they are living in castles with gold taps and flying private jets, you think, ah, and you have two jets and you need a third one, yeah, there's something wrong there. But we need to pay the workman his wages. We need to pay our elders appropriately so they can live in the, an appropriate way to lead God's people. Does that make sense? Please do that. Don't, just, don't be skimpy. I don't know who makes financial decisions in, in Anthem and how their salaries are set. But when you want... 
Let me put it this way. I'm, I've been, a, been an elder now 30-something years. When you are worrying, can I make my ends meet? Your creative energy that should be going into leading people into the ways of Jesus, going into how you can survive. So just make sure your leaders get paid appropriately so they can live. Okay? We're not asking about people, this is become millionaires of the church or whatever. I'm not talking about that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Just look after your leaders so they can do their job. All right? From time to time, leaders have to go into the marketplace and be bivocational. That happens. We understand that. But I think there's, just look after the leaders. Is that okay? Secondly, if you're going to have an accusation against the leader, it doesn't mean you can't have an accusation, but you better do it with two or three witnesses and do it appropriately under God. Right. When we start messing with God's leaders in an unhealthy, unholy way, you better believe God's not on your side. Now, if there's sin, and it's been you're dealing with it appropriately, that we, we want to deal with it appropriately. Does that make sense? But please be careful. Don't, you know, one of the great sins of the Bible is gossip. When you're in the coffee shop with someone from the church, you, 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 you know, Bert and Sherry, do you see where they went on vacation? Who do they think they are? You start talking like that, you're in trouble, man. You're in deep trouble. See, I can say these things to you, Bert. It's hard for Bert to say those things to you. But I'm saying you're in deep trouble because suddenly you're messing with God. Now, if you feel that they've done something inappropriate, then go and have a chat with them. Say, I mean, why? Be healthy. And then you find out, oh, a great aunt said, I want to send you away on a decent vacation. I want you, and here I've provided. And you think, oh, okay. You're not quickly checking the books. Did they steal? All right. Be careful. Hebrews 13. This is our approach to leadership. All right. We're actually following willingly. We make sure that they are earning appropriately. We're careful how we accuse them. Or, you know, Hebrews 13, verse 7, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, my word, we don't like that. Can we scratch that one out of the Bible immediately? <laughs> Obey your leaders and submit to them. And the only way you can do that is if you trust them and believe in them, they've got character and they're leading you in the way of Jesus. All right? So that's, it's all tied together. Obey your leaders, submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. I hazard a guess that Bert prays for you more than you pray for you. Because when I talk to the people in my church about their prayer lives, I realize I pray for them much more than they pray for themselves. The only time they pray for themselves is when they're in trouble. Okay, so obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, your person. As those who will give an account, that verse scares the out of me. Because as an elder, I'm going to give an account to the Lord for you. How scary is that? How scary is that? Please, we've got to be so careful in these areas. Let's read it again. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. If they're not and you don't feel that, find another church. As those who will give an account, let them do this 
with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So you need to follow them in a way that brings joy to them, which enables them to lead better. But if you follow in such a way that causes them always to be grumbling, oh man, I can't believe George is doing that again. Oh, whatever. George, you're just in the spit zone. You decided to sit there, so I'm picking on you. Whatever. That's not of benefit to you. But when, oh, man, George, isn't George incredible? The way he cared for that, greeted that person when they came into church on Sunday, and then he followed up with them and took them to, is that, joy begins to flow. You lead healthily. You lead well. It's a beautiful thing. And it will go well with you because the leader will come in more refreshed, more happy, more filled with God life, and that will spill over into your life. And that's how it should be. When Jesus woke up in the morning, oh, that bloody Peter again. Oh, I've got to deal with Peter again. He wants to keep cutting off people's ears. He just wants to jump out the boat. and oh, Jesus was just... They followed. They followed their rabbi. And he led out of his joy. Pray for us. Writer says. And I think that's an important thing. Our response to leaders is that we pray for them. Pray for them. Are you praying for Bert? Do you pray for him as part of your daily prayer? Lord, would you help Bert today to be a great husband? Will you help Bert today to be a great father? Will you help Bert today to be a great follower of you? Let him be learning from you so that he can teach us well. As he interacts with people in his world, let him be humble and kind. And Lord, would you bless him? Do you pray like that? It's a wonderful thing. I want to read something from you. Any, anyone read any of Dallas Willard's books? Renovation of the Heart? It's one of the great books I've ever read in my life, to be quite honest. So right now, I, I quite say I follow Dallas as Dallas follows Jesus. He's dead, but... Dallas Willard. He wrote this in the book. He's saying, One of our finest Christian college presidents recently devoted his periodic mail out to the question... Why are Christians so mean to one another so often? He quotes numerous well-known Christian leaders on this theme and says for himself, As a leader of a Christian organization, I feel the brunt of just this kind of meanness within the Christian community, a mean-spirited suspicion and judgment that mirrors the broader culture. Every Christian leader I know feels it. It is difficult to be Christian in a secular world. But you know, it is sometimes more difficult to be a leader in Christian circles. There too you can be vilified for just the slightest move that is displeasing to someone. Please don't be those people who sit with a little notebook, even if it's a spiritual one inside of you, and you're looking for everything that goes wrong. Look for everything that's going right. Things will go wrong. It's human nature. But look how you can bless, how you can encourage. Some final thoughts. Is this okay? Have you learned something, I hope? I hope you're looking to say, oh, I'm so glad we have Bert as our leader. So glad. Look at him. Final thoughts. We want our leaders and everyone to remain teachable and humble. 
If you can't follow, you are disqualified from leading. Is that okay? If you can't follow, you are disqualified from leading. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. He's led well. I want you to get this one. Can you put on your big hearing ears right now? I want you to hear this. Elders are God's servants to God's people. They're not the people's servant. Can I say that again? God's leaders are God's servants to God's people. Bert is God's servant to you. He is not your servant. Is that okay? When you want something done, don't phone Bert and say, well, you're the leader. You should be doing that. No. You do it. He is God's servant. To be a servant to you, to serve God's ways into your life, he's not your servant. It's, a, it's an attitude thing. Okay? Is that all right? Leaders should not lord it over the people. Huh? They're not... Listen, you are not Bert's people. You are God's people, and he's an appointed leader under God, so we don't lord it over the people. Only God can be Lord. Um, let me say, maybe finally I'm going to say this. If you desire an elder and become an elder and someone says, we feel like you should be an elder, please separate yourself for a moment of solitude, silence, and fasting and say, God, is this really you? Make sure to the best of your ability that when that happens, you know this is what God wants. And you just don't want it because of the prestige or because, oh, I want to be a leader. No, because you get a mantle upon you that comes from God, that it's a, there's a weightiness that comes with it. I mean, I, I think Jesus' yoke is easy. If you step into what He wants for you. But if you step into that which He doesn't want for you, that yoke becomes... And it will crush you. Please know. All right? It's a serious matter. We've got time to read one more scripture. Is that? Yeah. All right, we're going to read John chapter 10. Is that okay? I love the public reading of Scripture. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. 
Do you think an under-shepherd maybe should do that as well? I'm thinking so. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. Please hear these words. Put them into context in our world. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the, the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I'll stop there. Do you, can you pick up something about God's leadership in that text? If Jesus shepherd, we, elders are the under-shepherds. All right? Final thought. As you leave, this is about your devotional life. It's got nothing to do with nothing. Jesus was a good Jewish boy. Do you know that? He would have been raised in a good Jewish family, in a good Jewish way. He would have learned Torah. He would have learned the Psalms. He would, he would have memorized all those things because that's what a good Jewish boy did. He would have been raised on one of the favorite Psalms of the, of the Bible, which is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know that Psalm? So when he gets up to speak and he says, I am the good shepherd. Do you think he's got Psalm 23 in mind? Do you think he's got his ancestor David in mind? Do you think he's got Abraham in mind? These are all shepherds. Isn't that amazing that God's leadership style is shepherding? No one? So when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's thinking, I'm appropriating Psalm 23 to me. So tomorrow, in your devotions, try this when you wake up. You pray, Jesus, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus, you lead me. Besides still waters. You, Jesus, make me lie down. You, Jesus, restore my soul. Can you appropriate it like that? It's a healthy way to do it because suddenly it takes it out of the abstract, puts it in the real. It's making leadership of God and appropriating it to your life. And then you think, oh, Bert is leading a people, not just me. Jesus, I want to pray for him that he would be able to lead me too besides still waters, that he would know how to restore my soul under God, etc., etc. Okay? If he comes back next week and there's no one here, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs>